Okay. Luke chapter 7. didn't I? We are not going to uh, be in Genesis tonight. We're, we're taking a, a brief sabbatical from Genesis and, uh, and going to uh, Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 35 and, and going down to that uh, story of uh, the anointing of Jesus by a sinful woman. I call this lesson the fragrance of thanksgiving. And I want you to to keep that in mind as we work through this particular story. It's a fascinating story. It's, It's one that is extremely gripping if we have the right attitude toward sin and our relationship between us and God, and if we have the actions of forgiveness, or excuse me, of thanksgiving because of our forgiveness. I want to uh, divide this uh, story basically into five sections, very, very short, pithy little deals. But I want you to keep in mind the idea of wisdom is proved right by her children because this lady off the street is going to be an illustration, a demonstration of this particular verse. Never read the Bible with these individual stories without understanding context. If you do not understand context, and I appreciate you allowing me to do the little devotional thought because it sets up the context of this particular story. I've heard sermons about this lady, and sometimes it's so disconnected from from the context that you lose the idea of why the story is there in the first place. You get a feel for it, but you really do not Uh, understand it in depth. The first idea, the first idea is the setting, verse 36. One of the Pharisees had invited Jesus to a dinner and he went to that person's house and reclined at the table. Now, let's look at a couple of things very quickly. First of all, it's an invitation from a Pharisee to eat. Okay, the Pharisees were a religious sect in Judaism. They demanded strict adherence to the law of Moses. There was nothing wrong with that. The problem was that they added layer upon layer of traditions and oral interpretations so that these things were, were, were put side by side with the law of Moses so that if you bro- broke these It was just like breaking the law of Moses. In fact, they saw them as one. So often the contrast between and the conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus was not really on the law of Moses itself. It was on their interpretations and uh, layers that they had put around this law. And we've talked about that before. Often, 
You understand and you've read about Pharisees trying to trap Jesus, trying to discredit him. It really doesn't say anything in the record uh, here that this man was going to do that. You really don't know if he really was wanting to learn more about Jesus or if he was trying to set up Jesus or find a, a, a way of not following him. But he did not, Jesus did not cut off the religious leaders. He treated them individually like he did Nicodemus. And he was going to the dinner. Now let's talk about eating at the dinner. You eat at the table, you understand that they had very low, I'm saying very low, very low tables. Okay, very low tables. And you would normally, I don't know how this, I don't have... I understand about indigestion, but this would have bothered me. You've got to kind of lie down at this table. You know, a lot of us see the painting of of that Last Supper kind of thing, and all of them are sitting in chairs and everything like that. That's not the way it was. They were lying down on their sides, and they it was a low table. They were either on a low couch or a mat, and they would kind of prop themselves up, and they would eat with their right hands. And they would put their feet behind them. That's why, you know, sometimes it talks about, you know, somebody's head was right there toward the breast. You would, you'd be sitting like, like kind of catty-cornered in here, and you would try to, uh, uh, to fit yourself into this table setting. Second thing you need to remember is particularly with richer people, they would have some type of a courtyard where you might have a three-walled three area and this area is open and it would be an open uh, house for guests not to necessarily eat but to listen to the dinner conversation. People who invited them, hosts would invite people and they would come. They weren't necessarily part of the actual eating party, but they could come and listen. So that's probably how this woman uh, got in. She just didn't break the door down and come into uh, his house. They were, uh, she was probably part of that audience that listened. Anyway, verse 37 through 38, it says that this woman who had lived a sinful life, so it is acknowledging, Luke is acknowledging that she has lived a sinful life. This is not a, a, a one and done kind of a sin. This is a, this is a lifestyle that she has had. And what she was doing, he, he fails to, uh, uh, to describe it, you know, gallantly, I think. Some commentators have said she's a prostitute. Some have said she was sexually immoral. Some even speculated that it was Mary Magdalene. But you, we really don't know who this lady is at this particular uh, moment. So you've got this guess who's coming to dinner kind of deal. She learns that Jesus is there. Like we said, she's not just a mild sinner. She is notorious. People seem to know that of who she is, and she definitely would not have been welcome in Simon's house, but she comes, and she brings an alabaster flask of perfume. And she's standing behind Jesus, and he's probably there reclining, 
And she begins weeping. Now, like I've told you before, this is not a, a, a few tears. This is not a hanky kind of a thing. This is bawling. She is so, uh, it almost looks like she's distraught with, with what's going on. The, the, the attitude is going to become clear in just a moment. But she is crying to the point that she is absolutely wetting Jesus' feet with her tears. And you think about that and you think she must be really weeping. And she stoops down, loosens her hair, and wipes his feet with her hair, dries them with her hair. Now, think about this just a minute. This unleashes an attitude of love and humility. Because let me just tell you something. A woman like this in this culture who lets down her hair, some have said, I don't mean to be insensitive here, some have said it's almost like going, a person would go to topless in public. I mean, it just was not done. Not done. It was against all social protocol, and yet this woman has no compunction of, of doing this, and she lets down her hair and starts wiping his feet. i got to tell you something. I, uh, I've grown up with just country people, you know? I've grown up with city people. I've grown up with country people. And there are people that take their shoes off. And there are other people who shouldn't take their shoes off. <laughs> and, and I'm one of those. I'll, I'll keep my shoes on all the time. You know, I, I very rarely wear sandals. But anyway, uh, I would have a hard enough time with that. But you know what this is like. These people had sandals. These, these, these feet were dirty. These feet were dirty. They'd get dirty, and if it had been raining, they'd get muddy. These are nasty feet. Don't sit there and sit there and say, okay, Jesus, now Jesus was holy. Jesus always had clean feet. Okay, don't even go there. You know that's not true. We're dealing with dirty feet, and yet she has no problem with that. She has no problem with social protocol. She is humbling herself. She is deeply reverencing him, respecting him, the things that she's doing. And not only is she not doing that, she's kissing his feet. She's kissing his feet and anointing them with this perfume. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that house would have smelled like? I call the first part setting. I call this part scent. Because the scent of that, the aroma. I mean, Beth has been cooking for these Thanksgiving meals. And it's driving me nuts. That, you know, all these, all these scents in the house, it just, just 
you just, I mean, your mouth, you, you got Pavlov going on, your mouth's watering, you know, and no bells going off. It's just, it's just buzzers for timers and all this stuff and, and these pies. and uh, Oh, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. And she's got this perfume, and it's not his head, it's his feet that she's anointing. She doesn't care about dirty feet or protocol or what other people think of her. She is submitting, she is respecting Jesus because something has happened. Something's happened to prompt her to give such a sacrificial gift. Was she grateful? Was she seeking help? We'll find out shortly. The third section, setting, sent, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, verse 39. Simon saw this and said to himself, if this guy were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Okay? Now, basically... To say that is, is, is kind of like that guy, you know, the, the two praying and one guy says, well, I'm glad I'm not like you and I'm not like you and I'm not like you. And the other guy beats his breast and says, forgive me, I'm a sinner, you know. Well, this guy's kind of like the guy who's saying, I'm glad I'm not you. You know, he's saying, I'm glad I'm not like a sinner. You know, I wouldn't do that. And if Jesus was any kind of prophet like I thought he was, remember the idea? They had an idea of what the Messiah was going to be. The Messiah was going to conform to what they thought he should be. And Jesus is not conforming to what he thinks he should be. So he is saying, this guy is not from God. This guy is a sham. He's a fake he is, he, he's, he's a nice wonder worker, but that's about it. He has a few zingers that people need to remember and maybe live by, but he's not speaking for God. He's turned off by this woman. He has nothing but disdain for her. He doesn't really care about her. He's not moved by her love. And he says... If he just knew. If he just knew. What he saw totally, completely discredited Jesus in his mind. You have to understand. For a Pharisee to touch a sinner would make them ceremonially defiled. And he said if, she, if he only knew. He wouldn't be doing that. Now, stop. Is that law of Moses? No. That's his tradition. That's his interpretations. That's all those oral traditions that they've added to the law of Moses. Because Jesus came for sinners. How do you reach sinners if you're not among sinners? How do, you, how do you do that? But he 
felt like he needed to be isolated and that's how he would be clean and knowing of God. Simon thought he knew Jesus now. He's got him figured out. He's got him pegged. He's got him profiled. And the sad part about it is he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know his ways. He didn't know he was God. And he didn't know that he could read minds. And he knows what he's thinking. And Jesus, verse 40 through 43, tells him a story. Setting, sent, self-righteous story. Tells him a story. I got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, not prophet, but teacher, which is lower kind of class. He says, two guys owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 50 denarii, one 500. And I want you to notice something. Mark it. Verse 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Neither. Simon had no reason to suspect that Jesus' words were going to conform to how he had been thinking. He also didn't expect or suspect that he would be included in this story. Jesus couldn't tell in his mind the difference between sinners and non-sinners. But Simon's going to learn that Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. You have to understand the denarii, you know about this, is a day's wage for an agricultural worker at that time. And these guys both owed a considerable debt. Neither one of them could pay it. Even though one was ten times more, neither one could pay. Neither one. It was an incredible debt. And out of the graciousness of the moneylender, he cancels the debt. So neither could pay. Both are forgiven of that debt. So you've got setting. You've got sent. You've got self-righteous. You've got the story. You've got the story. And he says... What happens, Who the critical question here, who will love him more? Who will love him more? Well, I mean, sounds obvious. Sounds obvious. The one who is forgiven more. The one with the greater debt will show the greater love. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said that a demonstration of a forgiveness of a debt would be love? Okay? So you've got attitude demonstrated in an action. If you're thankful about being forgiven, you are going to act on your love. You're going to act on your love. 
It is expression of gratitude. Because the one who has little to be forgiven will love little. So the very last section, verses 44 through 50, I call surprise. Surprise. Because it's very surprising that the next question is where the hammer drops. The next question is, Simon, do you see this woman? Now, internally, he was probably sitting there thinking, of course I see this woman. The problem is, you're not seeing this woman. You don't know who she is. You don't know where she's been, what she's been doing. Obviously, you have no clue. No clue at all. Surprise, Simon. Jesus is not only going to make the woman the focus of the story, but you're also in this story too. And he is going to contrast her with Simon. She's going to be the heroine, and he's going to be the villain. She has been guilty of the sins that that she's committed. But he feels like he's not had any sins. He feels like he's just rocking along okay. And Jesus says, let's just start with the things you don't do. Let's don't start with the things you do. Let's just start with the things you don't do, that you fail to do. You didn't give me the common courtesies, greetings, and hospitalities that hosts frequently give. And he starts listing them. You didn't give me water to clean my feet, to wash my feet. And yet, she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me the customary kiss on the cheek of greeting. And yet, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't offer any oil to refresh my head. But she has anointed my feet with her perfume. By the way, the oil that Simon was supposed to offer him was simply a scented olive oil, which was plentiful and which was cheap. You wouldn't even give me that. You tried to get through with the minimum. But this woman went far beyond common courtesy. She went into an unusual sacrifice out of the love she had. And this is the kicker, and I want you to make sure that you get this. Verse 47. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that the woman's sins were forgiven because she loved much. She didn't earn forgiveness because of her love. She loved much because... Her sins were forgiven. 
She loved much because she wanted to show her appreciation of what had been given to her, forgiveness. Her love was a result of, not the reason for, her forgiveness. Therefore, her faith, not her love, saved her. Someone once said, and this is a little hard to follow and I'll try to, try to explain it easily. The intensity of a person's love is proportionate to the perception of the greatness of his forgiveness. If I see the immensity, if I take my sin seriously, if I see sin the way God sees sin and acknowledge it in my life and know there is no way I can be forgiven unless I earn anything, God is going to have to do something. God is going to have to give me the free gift of grace and His mercy. And that's the only way this thing is going to be taken care of. If I see it that way, then my thankfulness is going to be knocking the top out of the chart. It's going to be be just overflowing with gratefulness. And you read a lot of that in Paul's letters where he says, you know, thanks be to God for for all these things that he, he provides for us. We need to be thankful because if we're not, it simply means, like Simon, that we have trivialized our sin We have misunderstood God's forgiveness and we are arrogantly walking through this world thinking that we deserve everything that we get. What a sad state of affairs. So he goes on to say, he goes on to say, your sins, your many sins have been Forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Let me, let me, let me take, that, take the Greek part of it and, and make it very literal for you. Your sins have been forgiven and they remain forgiven. She must have met him sometime in the past or one of his disciples. And she obeyed the message that they were preaching. And she received forgiveness. And because of that, Jesus is saying, you are remaining forgiven even though people are slurring you, even though Pharisees are calling you a sinner, even though other people don't acknowledge it, God acknowledges it. God acknowledges it. God sees you as standing as forgiven because He's already forgiven you. And therefore, you see her action, her intensity of understanding what she's been offered, what she has received, grace and mercy. And because she sees that as wonderful then she has an incredible sense of gratitude. 
incredible sense of gratitude. And she, uh, he ends by saying, verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace, understanding your condition, your saved condition. Go in peace, understanding it's not your love that earned you something. It's your love, your attitude that acted out of the thankfulness of your heart in what you have provided, what you have provided for Jesus because of what he had already given you. Let's wrap this up. Two attitudes. Two attitudes. Number one, you ask, why did... Why did the woman, why did Simon act this way? Why was she loving? Why was he unloving? She grasped the gravity and the magnitude of her sins. She understood her sinful state. Simon didn't. He belittled it. He saw no need for forgiveness, for himself. He saw himself as not a debtor at all. Not a debtor at all. Which makes you wonder, and Jesus doesn't explicitly say this, I wonder who really was the biggest sinner? Who was the 500 denarii debt? Was it really the woman? Or was it Simon and he just didn't get it? And the reason he refused to believe, you know, I told you there's a difference in doubting and unbelief. He was an unbeliever. He absolutely rejected. He refused to believe that he could be the sinner. So with those two attitudes come two actions. Come two actions. The woman... Sorrowful for her sin and deeply devoted to Jesus and thankful and grateful because of the forgiveness she had received makes an extravagant use of a wonderful perfume. Not because of what she had done did she receive forgiveness, but out of faith in His mercy and grace, out of thankfulness. And then, what about Simon? Well, Simon is blind to his deep need, so he doesn't demonstrate great love. He invites Jesus for the wrong reason, doesn't wash his feet, which is a common courtesy, doesn't give him a greeting kiss, doesn't anoint his head. He treats him like any other person sees no need for forgiveness, is unwilling and uh, unable to accept that this woman has received forgiveness. He's not even thankful for her. So he's bearing fruit out of an evil heart. So how can we conclude this? We can conclude this basically this way. Are we aware of our spiritual condition? Do we understand 
that our spiritual condition is tied to our actions. Our love and our affection for Christ is fueled by our faith and our gratitude. See, if I don't grasp the weight of my sin and how much I have been forgiven as a Christian, then I'm a minimalist. I'll check in ever so often with people, but I'll remain unemotional and disconnected from my brothers and sisters. I will not want to worship or serve Jesus. I will have no interest in saving souls and I will be unmoved by my sins or anyone else's. When I read the word of God, it will not cut me to the heart. In fact, I will see it as boring and mundane. But if I understand what Jesus has done for me, that he has come and lived a perfect life, sinless, that he has died on a cruel cross for my sins, that he has been buried, that he has been resurrected, so that I have a hope of eternal life through him, I can be in Christ. And I understand that my sins put him through that. I can be overjoyed and so thankful. And it will revolutionize this thanksgiving for all of us. Because we will have a renewed understanding of why we need to be thankful. But not only tomorrow, but every day, every Sunday that we come here, and every day that we go to work or we go to school, or we go shopping, people will start seeing a difference because they'll say, you know, that person, that person just seems to be so thankful. I wonder why. Somebody may even ask you about it. Because to be honest with you, sometimes around the holidays, people don't look that thankful. <laughs> Particularly if they're trying to get a parking space. But we've, we need to be thankful. A thankful person. A thankful people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the day that you provide. Thank you for watching over us and caring for us. We have so many people on the road, so many people who are sick. Be with them and help them. Protect them and Give them strength. Give them healing. Give them the things they need so that they can be back with us. 
Help us to be thankful. Help us to understand what you've done and what we've received and be truly, truly grateful for the things that you do. But not only the things. We're just thankful that you're mindful of us. You're the great God. Why in the world would you be mindful of us at all? But you are. And you've provided so many, so many ways for us to show our thankfulness and our love. And help us to do that. And help us as we go from here be a fragrance of thanksgiving to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.